Blog Talk Radio. There was a time I was so afraid, so scared to do what I wanted. In looking back, I can see all the mistakes that I made, and I wish that I Talk to me and tell me I can change. Don't be afraid. Just walk with your head up high. Don't be afraid. Just take it one step at a time. Don't give up on your dreams, no matter how small. Hi, welcome to Block Talk Radio, Safe Recovery. This is Monica, and I'm your host. Tonight is February 19th, 2013. Welcome to Safe Recovery on Blog Talk Radio. You can find me on iTunes for free as well and download all the previous episodes. We're coming up on almost two years in March, uh, the end of March 25th. I'll celebrate two years on Blog Talk Radio Wow, I can't believe it. And over 62,000 downloads and hits and listens. I'm really excited to um, still be doing this show and uh, really having fun doing it and feel like I need to do it. We have a really great guest tonight. We have um, Stephen Slate, who is the owner of the blog, The Clean Slate. Um, Stephen is a um, is an addiction treatment uh, counselor. I guess you're going to correct me. It's probably not the right word, Stephen Ray, counselor. Um, and uh, is also connected with St. Jude's Retreat. I am way too multitasking right now looking at different tabs here. I want to read a story, so we will introduce uh, Stephen in just a minute. Um, we're going to talk about a couple things tonight. We're going to talk about Stephen's blog and his connection with St. Jude's. and But there's a couple of stories in the news, one being country singer Mindy McCready, dead of an apparent suicide. Uh, she took her life this past week, and there's a lot of talk uh, all over the place about it, and uh, I find it pretty disturbing myself, which is why I put it up on my blog, Leaving AA. Um, I, I was really um, touched by it. I was a real fan of country music, and as I read this story, uh, it made me really want to get the word out that there's other ways. And was she offered other ways? Was she treated like a 37-year-old adult and not a child? Was she given the options and told, uh, I do know that she was uh, on celebrity rehab, so now we have, I think it's three or four people killed themselves who have been on celebrity rehab, so maybe we need to have anti-not-celebrity rehab um, another show that maybe can enlighten the world that there's something else besides AA and 12-step. So I really uh, would like that to happen. Um, McCready's body was found about 3.30 p.m. Sunday on the front porch of her home in Herber Springs, Arkansas, with a single gunshot wound. And the uh, Cleborne County Sheriff's Office confirmed to Yahoo and deputies responded to a 911 call reporting the gunfire McCready apparently shot her dog before returning the gun on herself. Um, her body was transported to the Arkansas State Crime Lab for an autopsy, and her death is being probed, the sheriff says. McCready's apparent suicide comes just a little more than a month after the death of her boyfriend, songwriter David Wilson, 34. The death of Wilson, who fathered McCready's younger son, is still under investigation. It was after Wilson's death that McCready, who struggles with drugs and alcohol, were chronic, chronicled, what is this word here, on VH1 Celebrity Rehab. Um, I swear to God, anyway, was committed to a psychiatric hospital and her two children 
six-year-old and nine-month-old were removed from her care. So I'm sure that didn't help e- either. That didn't help her either. Um, but emotional problems and substance abuse and difficult relationships took their toll. By the time of her final release in 2010, I'm still here. Uh, that's the song. She was better known for celebrity rehab than her recordings. What does that say about our society and uh, celebrity rehab? I think that that's enough. I'm going to bring Stephen on. Hello, Stephen. Hey. Hi. How are you, Monica? I'm good. A little nasally still from my cold, but otherwise really good. And How are you doing? Good. Um, well, welcome to the show. I'm glad to have you here. I'm glad to be here, too. Um, I I hadn't heard that story uh, about the suicide. I know you mentioned it before, mm-hmm. but I didn't really, I I didn't know all the details. And now that you mention it, I think I did see her on Celebrity Rehab. Because um, I do, I, I have watched a few episodes of that here and there. Mm-hmm. And it's it, it's kind of a disturbing show. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Yeah, it's really. Dis- um, I mean, I, I I tried to watch Intervention. I think I watched it twice. But and this is like before I was leaving AA, and I was like really like, are you kidding me? Um, yeah. And it's sort of impossible for me to watch. But anyway, so tell me your thoughts about this. Um. You know, uh, I think uh, a lot of people. Uh, you know, there, there's people that commit suicide everywhere at all times and places and you know I, I think it's horrible um, you said that so so she was really obviously steeped in the 12 steps um, I, I I think that you know I'm not I'm not going to say she committed suicide because of that influence directly but I think uh, there is something to be said for all of the powerlessness talk, mm-hmm. you know, and that can add to somebody's hopelessness for mm-hmm. sure, mm-hmm. and their belief that things won't get better. So, right, right. Um, yeah, yeah. So what's I, your take? Well, my take is, I mean, I don't. Uh, I, I was around in in AA for a long time, and I think I only know one person not in that community that killed themselves, and I know way too many. I have more than one hand. Uh, people have committed yeah. suicide uh, in the AA community, including people I knew in Hawaii. And um, I think the only friend that I had was a childhood friend, and he had it was true mental breakdown, and there was, as far as I know, no stepping involved in that. And everything else in Hawaii and California was all, you know, twelve step related, including my ex brother in law, who took his life a year and a half ago, and I would say very related to twelve uh, step failure. And um, so yeah. I, I think the 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 part that's so disturbing is watching Dr. Drew last night, which I don't watch. I watched it because of this show, you know, this story, and the type of people that he had on. There were four, three or four people up on the screen, and they all looked like they were uh, drones, or they were like I don't know what, but they didn't look like the people that was on the Huff Live last night with Stanton Peel and the woman who write, wrote the book Inside Rehab. And they were mm-hmm. having a real discussion about the other choices and why don't people talk about that. And Stanton said, well, it's like, you know, AA people are like the jealous lover. Like you can't say in an AA meeting, well, you know, if this doesn't work, you know, I heard about a smart recovery meeting or an SOS meeting or you can go to St. Jude's and not to the Betty Ford Center if you don't want to get um, and, and they were talking about facts that I didn't know about the, the um, you know how people are not trained who are mostly working in rehabs, like how little training they have. They don't have a man. Mm-hmm. Like, you have to work in the health field and any other field. Like the stats are, if 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 you don't, if anyone's listening to this and you don't know this, last night on Huffington Live, there was an incredible dialogue between that reporter and Stanton Peel. And the woman, um, her name is Fletcher, Ann Fletcher, who wrote Inside Rehab, and the guy who wrote the craft book. I can't remember his name either. I'm just pulling up. Mm-hmm. And anyway, it you know, it really was a really fantastic talk about why 
wouldn't anybody want to tell, or hear their names. So there was Dr. Robert Myers was on, and he's connected with the craft program with SMART, for that's for family and friends of people who are having a problem, and M. Fletcher, who wrote Inside Rehab, and Clancy Martin, who is a, a professor from the University of Missouri, and, um, mm-hmm. and of course, Stanton. But, I, I, you know, it was it's just too much everywhere, you know, Stephen, this talk about um, that it's the only way and the powerlessness and the punitive treatment like our kids were taken away. I don't know that it was 12-step. It just smells like a rat. It just smells like it to me. And from somebody who was in it for over three decades, uh, I'm not always right, but there's a lot of time that uh, if I'm if I'm reading the story, yeah. you can read into it, right? And I think yeah. that you know there certainly is a lot of talk on leaving AA that blog about it, but I think that's why when I first started this radio show, Stephen, that I didn't know a lot of you. I was beginning to get to know people from the blog Stinkin' Thinkin', and yeah. I went from exposing AA to wanting to get the word out that there were these other choices. And I, in the process, you know, my own sons were freed from AA nutjob, wacko, 1939 insanity. And I, you know, began to read the books that Gunther told me about. I didn't even know who Albert Ellis was. I didn't know who Stanton Peel was. I met him. I met you. So, Let's for anyone who's listening, Stephen Slate is a addiction coach. He has his own blog and he works with St. Jude's Retreat in New York and Stephen has an office in Lower Manhattan. And one of the first questions I want to ask you is why did you create the blog, The Clean Slate in the beginning? Uh you know, there's a few reasons why I started the blog. Um I, you know, first of all, just my bio is basically um, I had a problem with drugs. Um, I got into treatment and that my problem got worse and worse. And and for about five years, I was going to conventional, a lot of programs, a lot of conventional treatment programs, AA, NA, and CA, Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, methadone and... uh, Wow. Inpatient, outpatient counseling, and you know, I got hooked up with a bunch of therapists and counselors and psychiatrists and meds and you know all of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, and I just I proceeded to get worse and worse in that world. Um, and uh, my parents had found this St. Jude retreat, and as I said, look, I'm not you know I'm not going to another program. They're going to tell me the same things. I'm going to get out. I'm still going to want to get high. Like, that's going to be with me forever. Mm-hmm. You know, I got to the point where I really believed that, that, right. that I was going to be stuck with that forever, uh-huh. especially since I didn't believe in God, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was kind of like a prerequisite to, you know, having the miracle happen where maybe the obsession was lifted from you. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, so anyways... I did that, and I finally turned things around. And, um, and you know, uh, eventually I started working for the St. Jude Retreat, and I did all that. Did that for a few years, and, and, I, and I moved. Uh, I wanted to get out of upstate New York, <laughs> really, yeah. and I moved to the city, and I was pursuing some other things, but I, like, continued to write and write and write, and I was trying to write my own book on recovery. Mm-hmm. And... You know, I wasn't really finishing it. You know, so part of writing the blog was like, look, I'm I'm writing this stuff, and I gotta get it out there and see what people think of it. Right. You know, and the, the blog has really gone in the direction of being mostly just a polemic on is addiction a disease or not, and certainly that's not everything that I was working on, but that's that's the main sort of issue I'm tackling there because. It was the main difference in approach um, for me. Yeah. Because I was told, you know, this is out of your control because it's a disease again and again and again. And I proceeded to behave, you know, more and more like I was out of control. And 
these people at St. Jude said, you're not out of control, you're in control. Mm-hmm. You are doing this just because you like the feeling of the drug. It's that It's that simple. It doesn't have to be, you know, a more convoluted explanation than that. You like the feeling of it. That's why you're doing it. And if you think you might want to try liking the feeling of life better in other ways, you know, you can do that. It's mm-hmm. your choice. And, mm-hmm. and so, you know, so that's the message I've settled on with the blog is, is to really, you know, and maybe the blog posts are sometimes too, you know, wordy. You know, I don't know if it's the most readable thing at times, but mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I explore it looks pretty that good, though. Looking at I, it. I think... I think it's important for people, you know, if if they want to, if if they're questioning the disease concept, they can question it on my blog. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of posts there that deal specifically with that. Um, and um, you know, and I started to get good feedback mm-hmm. from it, and um, I started to hear from some of the people on Stinking Thinking, and mm-hmm. I eventually heard from Stanton, and I worked with him a little bit for a while, and. And uh, my people up at St. Jude's got back in touch with me. So we're reading your blog. We love it. You know, come work with us. And, and um, you know, I got to – so I, I wanted to get that message out there. I wanted to write for people and and see if they found it helpful or useful. And I get a lot of haters on the blog, but I, I get a lot of really positive feedback from people too, which is wonderful. Really? People have told some- me they find it. How yeah, come I never hear from you when you get the haters? <laughs> you could you could send me an email and we'll, we'll put a grab a bunch of us to come over and fight the haters over there on your <laughs> on the clean slate. <laughs> we stick together as anti-steppers, you know. We uh, yeah. Mm. <laughs> you know the the post that has attracted a lot of attention lately. What a, a piece I put up a long time ago, just about the allergy model. You know. Mm. And, and and people are, you know, jumping on there saying, you know, you're wrong, it's an allergy, and they're not really offering reasons why. Just, just mainly like, well, because Dr. Silkworth said so. But, you know, nothing about it. it, it the allergy thing is only, a, a, you know, a metaphor, you know. And I think it's a bad metaphor personally because, yeah. you know, the 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 idea is right. You get a little bit of this substance in you, and it kicks off this domino effect, right? You know, and right. you know the the epidemiological data shows that most people eventually become moderate drinkers. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they have the allergy. You know, how do they do that? If if it's a real medical allergy, you know, and then the other thing is they've done studies where. They've given alcoholics alcohol unbeknownst to them, and uh, you know they didn't. It was mixed in with like tonic water to a degree where you couldn't taste it, and and they didn't keep on drinking. You know, mm. if it, you you know it's like because they didn't know. Right. There was if they, and when they knew that there was alcohol in it, they drank a lot more. And even even when they did that, and there wasn't alcohol, but they were told there was alcohol in it, they drank a bunch more. Oh yeah, this you know? thread so has a lot of comments on it. This is really a lot of. Um, that's a pretty busy thread. I just picked up the one you said: addiction as an allergy, loss of control. Yeah, one, yeah. There's a lot of yeah. comments there. Um, there are. Yeah, I went to a doctor, new doctor recently because of the cold I had, and uh, it was a young Asian guy, and he said to me, I started talking to him about what I was doing and my radio show and I was making a film, and he said that um, he was, he said the thing with the Asians, he was Asian, Asian, and he actually, he if he takes even just a couple of sips, he gets a headache right away. I mean, a really bad headache, and it's an. And so I said, "Well, what is that?" And he said, "It's an enzyme in the blood. That some mm-hmm. people have this enzyme. It's different than someone else. That makes it. You know, he didn't call it an allergy. Um, and it's yeah. interesting. You know, I I think that I was told that it was an allergy, the mental obsession. What's A's terminology? An allergy of the body and an obsession of the mind and 
you know, you're sick to the core. And I, I think that language from the 1930s uh, that's never, ever been revised is disgusting and it is harmful and it's, um, you know, uh, really, really deadly. And I don't mince words about it uh, because I was in it for too long and I feel like it gives me the right to speak however I want about it. Certainly did way too much service involved in it. Yeah. You know? um, oh, Gunther is asking, can he add the clean slate to a resource page at Expose AA? Stephen, one of the person in the chat room, Gunther's asking. Is that okay? Oh, yeah. I yeah, love that. Yeah, he yeah. said, sure, Gunther, go ahead, put it in there. Yeah, they have, so Expose AA, if anyone's listening doesn't know it, expaa.org, has become a really good resource. I would say that it's definitely uh, ex-steppers, and um, there's a lot of good resources there that, uh, if yeah. anybody's looking for it, yeah, it's a, it's a good website, as, as well as NAD Tona, which brings up a lot of the news, and then you have mine at leavingaa.com and um Stop 13 step. So uh, I when, think I have you linked. I'll have to link those other ones as well. It's um, a good, yeah. I it's, like what your doctor said. I mean, if I, I don't want to stick on this forever, but yeah. I did want to mention, like he's talking about, if, if anything is an allergy, it will be closer to that. Like he gets a headache. Yeah. You know, he doesn't run out and start drinking more. No, he doesn't right? want to. Yeah, he actually doesn't yeah, want to drink. You yeah. If you really had an allergy, mm -hmm. it would be bad. You would feel like you wouldn't drink more. That would be the last thing on your mind. I mean, there are people that are literally allergic to alcohol, and they get sick. You know, they they don't drink more. They get sick. Right, and, right. And, and, and there's, you know, there's a huge difference. And... You know, I think it's just silly. The whole allergy thing is silly. Um, and it sets people up as they're this set of precarious, uh, precariously placed dominoes. It's, it's just ready to fall, be knocked down at any moment. And I, I just, like you said, I think it's downright harmful for people to conceive of themselves in that way. And we're teaching them that. It's horrible. Well, I mean, you listen to your story. I mean, I knew... We've talked many times, and, you know, I think yeah. I didn't realize, I mean, I remember when we were walking, you know, in the city last summer, and we met for the first time, and you were sort of telling me more of your story in a personal way. I I mean, I really got it. I was like, wow, like, it's like Amy's story, like 20 years in and out and around this stuff, and you're like, five years of you trying, and it get getting worse, you know, of you it getting was, worse. I literally got worse and worse. I went you know, I had been um, snorting heroin. You know, I've been using heroin nasally mm -hmm. for like two to three years. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I got arrested buying some heroin. And I had to go to rehab. And I went to um, High Watch Farm in Connecticut. Oh, my and, God. Um, High Watch Farm. Isn't that like the big oldest stepper place? Is that, a, that place? It is. Bill, gave, some nuns gave it to Bill Wilson, and he started, yeah, yeah. Mm. So it's it's real. It, it was like seven various kinds of 12-step meetings a day that we had there. And, um, oh my God. you know, I was just told repeatedly by both staff and by the other, you know, AA members that were there because they had relapsed yet again, mm -hmm. um, that, you know, this this line of, you're not done yet. And, oh, you're just sniffing heroin, you're not done, you're going to be shooting it. And I, and I had really, like, kept a limit for myself and said, you know, I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm never going to do that. I'm not going to inject drugs. Right. And it was just beaten into my head that you're going to do that, everybody does it, you're not done, you'll be shooting up soon. You know, in a place wow. that's supposed to be helping me. Yeah, this, this is, is really what I'm negative. getting. And <sighs> I, you know, I certainly the choice was my own. Okay. Right. But within a week of leaving that place, after three years of using nasally, within a week of leaving that place, I was shooting up. You know, that was my first rehab. Wow. Yeah. That's horrible. I mean, that's exponentially worse. You know. Yeah. 
<laughs> and and you know it got really bad from there. You know, it's it's a self fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, it's pretty bad. I'm really one of the bloggers said today. Well, um, that actually I was somebody said some really crappy stuff to me, and then the blogger said, "Wow, this person's this is the reason why I left." I'm actually glad there were people like this in AA. You know, the controlling, punitive, arrogant, judgmental um, buttholes that think they know everything. And uh, anyway, what's it gone through here? People addicted to peanuts don't crave peanuts. <laughs> people addicted to peanuts. I don't know. I'm not addicted to peanuts, but if you have a certain kind of Haagen Dazs ice cream, if it's around, I'll eat it vanilla bean or coffee chip or whatever the favorite one my son has. Uh, okay, how long has the blog been up? Uh, I started it in, um, I think, the spring of 2010. Oh, okay. So timing, yeah. we're getting to just about uh, three years with it. In a couple months, it'll be it'll be about three years I've had it up there. So my ours started similar time. I started mine in January of 2010. Mm-hmm. Uh, began the work. Ilsa started thinking, thinking a year prior to that. Uh, it's really hmm, interesting. Uh, okay, and I want to ask you this: Why? Um, no, I already asked you that. But science-based approach. What science-based approach do you use? Um. Where are you reading that quote from? No, no, I'm asking you. Like, what? Ap- I'm sorry. Oh. Been, you know, I've been sick for a week. Oh, okay. In the house or, um, what approach do you? I mean, I I know, but the, but our listeners don't know. So what? Yeah. What approach? I know you don't use the twelve steps, Stephen. Right? <laughs> You're not going to no, use. No, we don't use the twelve steps. <laughs> um, we we have developed our own approach. We call it cognitive behavioral education. Mm-hmm. And. Um, we essentially teach people principles of human behavior and choice and, you know, and those naturally um, play into how people make choices about substance use. Mm-hmm. And we teach them how to enlarge their range of options. Um, and so, you know, what happens when you do the St. Jude program is, the first nine chapters of the textbook are a lot of ideas and theory and um, and you're learning, you know, how to look at human behavior and choices differently. And 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 the theory that we present that it's that it's based on is, is uh, we call it the freedom model philosophy. Mm-hmm. And basically boils down to all people freely act in ways that they believe will bring them the greatest amount of happiness. Mm -hmm. So we're saying that people do what they think will make them happy. Everything in life that you do, you think it's because it's your sort of best option at that time Uh to get some kind of happiness. Now, this doesn't mean that Things don't backfire, and and that, that that certain choices are you know in the long run bad. You know, right. that's certainly a part of things. We're not saying that every choice makes you happy. We're saying that the drive behind the choices mm-hmm. is happiness. And for instance, you know, I remember really being at a point where I thought, ah, kind of the best thing that I can do because. Everything else I do in life, I keep failing that. Um, but but getting high makes me feel good right now, you know. And really, and so in a way, it becomes my my best viable option. It's what I'm willing to do, mm-hmm. and it's what, when I compare to other things, um, looks the best. Um, and you know, maybe I'm now getting a little too deep into that. But but so we. You know, that's our philosophy. We teach that. Everything else is sort of based around it. Mm-hmm. And um, and the idea is that if, you know, people can 
recognize that that you use substances because they offer a small moment of happiness. And you can embrace it on that level. And trust me, that's hard for some people because I get some that have been, you know, in treatment and 12-step programs for a long time. They come in and they say, I don't even know why I drink anymore. I don't even like it. Mm. Have you heard that? You know? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why I was even doing it. I didn't like it. People are at a point where they are believing, and I think it's because mostly because they hear this. It's a narrative out there. Um, I don't even like it. I, I you know, I, if, if somebody's stuck there, and that comes from the disease concept in a way, because the disease concept, you know, sort of divorce is um, behavior from purpose. You know, it says that you just have this disease that's pushing you. Nothing to do with, you know, you're not choosing this. Um, you know, so, but if you can say, if you can really get to a place where you're honestly embracing that, look, I just do this for a moment of happiness. Okay, that's great. That's step one in a way, you know, like, let's look at it that simply. The next part is if you can start exploring your other options in life and realize that it is just momentary happiness that you're getting out of it. You, you might decide that you'd get longer-lasting happiness or higher levels of happiness from subtracting that from your life and, and maybe doing some other things. Um, and what is the science behind this, if that was the question? Um, this was when they started the St. Jude program twenty two years ago, I think it was, they took AA and they just did one tweak on it. They said, you don't have a disease. You're not Mm -hmm. out of control. You're just doing this because it makes you happy. If you want, you can do other things. They did that from going in and and looking at, they looked at AA meetings in the upstate area and studied it themselves and they figured out that there was a 10% success rate. They took a group of 30 people initially, taught them this twist on AA. They got a 75% success. Mm-hmm. So the science is that we had an idea, we tested it, it worked. And then from there, we've developed it. Um, one of the founders of the retreat, um, well, both of them, Okay, yeah. both of them lived in this retreat for 10 years. And I have amazing respect for that. They lived in there trying to help people, always on the verge of bankruptcy, you know, really just staying alive by a thread. Mm-hmm. And um, you, a lot of researchers, you know, you don't really know what questions to ask, but living in that environment like that, helps you figure out what questions to ask. If you if if you get my drift, you know? You can't um just sort of sit in a lab and come up with studies in the same way as if you're working directly every day trying to help people mm-hmm. and you see what they react to and what they don't and you're living with them at the time. I mean that that gives you an incredible sort of insight into what's going on and gives you a better idea of what questions to ask. And, and, you know, of course, you know, we've studied all the research that's out there, the existing research. That's one of my main functions is to analyze the research that comes out and um, figure out how we can use it to help people. We do all of that as well. Mm. So So in your research, do you have any um, neurosurgeons, not neurosurgeons, I mean neuro scientists to disprove or prove that it is not a brain disease? Because I really have a problem with that and don't believe it is. It certainly isn't if it's, you know, if it's... I don't... Yeah, we know people who've had real brain disease. This mm-hmm. this is not a brain disease. And um, I think... Um, I have listed on the front page of my blog, if you scroll down to the bottom, there's a little section that says for brain disease, Skeptic, uh-huh. and um, and I link to an article that this guy Mark Lewis, who is a neuroscientist, um, wrote 
an article in, I think it was December or November, and it basically makes the same argument that I make on um, on my site. Um, but, of course, I'm not a neuroscientist, but I finally found somebody who came up with the same opinion as me, which is that the brain changes that, that go on in an, you know, quote, addict, right. um, are just, they represent learning, you know, and and they're plastic and they can change and change again. Obviously, there's some toxicity effects, but those go away over time as people dry out. Um, but a lot of the, like, changes in levels of activity in various parts of the brain, you know, that's what happens when you when you learn. Right, you know, right. There's a difference between learning and disease. Well, really so, you know, if you look on my site and you scroll down, you'll see that a link to that article by Mark Lewis, and that's yep. worth taking a look at. Yeah, I think so. I'm on there now, but I, I lost. I was wasn't on the front page. I was trying to find uh, where it was. As I'm, I'm back here now. So uh, let me see. So I'm on the front page, and then go to on the right side. Is that where? What's this thing about Colin Farrell and Manchild, Mature? Uh, oh, no, it's on the left side. Oh, on the left um, side? Okay. Yeah. Latest articles? Oh, my nose is getting all... Uh, dual diagnosis. You, if you scroll all the way down to the bottom, that is where you'll find it. Okay. Addiction is not a brain disease there. Why? Um, Why addiction is not I'm a brain disease? I'm trying to pull up the page in front of me. I don't even have it right now. No, it's okay. Oh, I found it. I found for, it. Yeah. I okay, it. for brain disease skeptics. And, right. And I go through several links there, and there's a big quote uh, from Mark Lewis, and there's a link to his article, Why Addiction is Not a Brain Disease. Uh, and, um, uh-huh. you know, like people this. think I'm not credible because I'm, a, because I'm not a neuroscientist. They can look at what he says and comes up with the same opinion. So, yeah, yeah, um, okay. I, I think I'll put yeah. it on my front page. I like this. Thank you for so. I'm on um, the clean slate, and you go to the bottom, and there's a highlighted part. So, why addiction is not a brain disease by Mark Lewis, and maybe he was in another film. I saw a film where there was a doctor, and he was just, you know, they shake their heads and they go like, "What? What are people saying?" I think that's. Uh, the whole part is that it's become a billion-dollar industry, and so of course they'd want to, you know, talk about it as a disease so they can get insurance to cover it. Yeah. And then that brings us to another story that's on uh, the front page of your blog, which is dual diagnosis. Do you want to you want to attack that at all? <laughs> yeah, I do, and I want to be careful um, okay. to just mention first. You know, when saying this, I'm not questioning anybody's. Um, mental health problem, saying that they're illegitimate. Um, yeah, this is a different so, point of view. Yeah. And you're taking it from what doctors are saying. So, okay, you yeah. have a disclaimer. There was, a, there was an article that came out the other day. I, You know, I'll just tell you myself, when I went into the rehab, I was, you know, given every diagnosis. You know, um, social anxiety disorder, generalizing anxiety disorder, uh, chronic dysthemia or depression and um and bipolar, you know. Wow. And um you know, a lot of people have this experience, you know, and, and this is the big thing now. We need dual diagnostic clinic clinics, you know, and everything. Well, this you know, I mean I got over those things in time and I wasn't you know, I had ceased getting any treatment for those things and really just got over them as they changed my life, and I'm not telling anybody to stop treatment for those things. Right. Um, you know, do whatever you think you have to do. But um, the reason I thought this article in NewJersey.com was interesting the other day is it's got a whole bunch of quotes from parents and from people that are working in the clinics that where people are going in to get, you know, treatment for addiction, and the... You know, intake people, the nurses and counselors, et cetera, are saying to them, hey, you know, why don't you fake a um, mental illness here? Um, wow. Because if you do that, you're, you know, you're more likely to get the insurance company to pay for this. Oh, my God. You know, so, you know, they even there's a quote where they say, um, 
this was this is this was amazing. Um where the nurse said to him, uh said to this family, uh, you know, would your son uh be willing to say that he was going to harm his mother or himself? Uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, they they said that if he was mentally unstable they could admit him. Um and his insurance would cover that. Um mm-hmm. this is a boy who was an eighteen year old boy who was doing heroin and um you know, they said that's not good enough. You know, you got to say that you also have a mental illness. Um, well, I think that's kind of crazy. So now, what complications is that bring into things? And you know, I've heard this from many other people. I haven't ever really seen it, you know, documented like it was in this in this article where they had yeah. a lot of interviews and stuff. Yeah. And you know, they they have uh, you know some little statements from other people saying it's normal. Healthcare experts say scenes like this have become far too common. Oh my um, God. You know, so um, what complications does that bring in when somebody is given psychiatric meds, perhaps that they don't need? You know, and what complication does it bring in when people start to believe that they have all these added psychiatric problems? Mm-hmm. Um, and then. The particular thing I looked at in this article or that I brought up is what about when we look at the statistics on addiction? Um, Because one explanation that's offered up why people who go to rehabs do worse than those who don't, Uh which is the truth. Right, (laughs) right. That, that, uh, you know, you have a better chance of, of sobering up if you actually don't get treatment um, from some account. Um, one of one of the possible explanations uh, is, well, there's more comorbidity among people that go to treatment centers, meaning more people are dually diagnosed. They not only do they have addiction, but they also have, you know, bipolar or depression, anxiety disorders, etc. Well, here we have some evidence I mean, I, I've heard it plenty anecdotally, and here we have, you know, it's coming up in the news that, you know, people are, you know, blatantly, you know, coming up with fraudulent mental illnesses in order to get insurance to cover it, you know. And I'm not attacking them for doing that. I'm saying, but, but well, now we've got to look at all these numbers that right. say that the, the treatment population supposedly has more mental health issues that may not be true once you once you subtract all of the fraud going on in order you know what I mean yeah yeah and 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 then from there we got to explain okay well why do people do worse once they go to treatment programs and you know I think it's I think the answer is obvious and I'm not the first one to say it being taught that you know you are this precariously placed set of dominoes ready to be knocked down uh, maybe isn't all that good for you. You know, I mean, I think that's what it really is. I think that's the difference. And so I'm just bringing this up, you know, to sort of be like, hey, you know, maybe maybe this comorbidity argument to explain away why people do worse in rehab, maybe it, it doesn't really hold the water. No, I don't know. I don't have, like, you know, well, that's what um, the that, woman who but... was on uh, the um, Huffington Live last night who wrote the new book Inside Rehab, and what she was saying is that most people did well on their own. Uh, more people mm-hmm. actually went for just a day uh, where they don't stay overnight. There was a lot yeah. of that. And uh, so, I mean, I think I am going to get the book just to see, but there was a lot of talk about they that it didn't help and the way that our media and shows like you know Dr. Drew and stuff was on like especially last night talking about well and well you know she didn't want to go and well you know they they it's it's talked about like it's a recipe for making bread that's i mean the part i problem i have with it is that i knew many people who had different kinds of problems from anything at all, any kind of drug problem and alcohol, and nobody yeah. went to rehab. Nobody. And uh, it wasn't, you know, there were very few, and 
Uh, it was mm-hmm. very expensive, and it was before the laws were. And I'm finding out now that those laws were have been around a lot longer than I knew. I mean, I thought 1980 was, but something I know did happen in the late 70s and early 80s to change insurance and how they paid for it. But it does go back quite a ways uh, from doing the research for my film. Because Bill Wilson, you know, was in front of the Senate and Marty Mann yeah. did everything she could. So uh, to, you know, just get doctors. Yeah, there was, people. you know, I think it's amazing if you ever look, I don't know if it's still up, but on the NCADD's website, which is Marty Mann's organization, mm-hmm. um, they they had like a timeline. And it really just outlines like a propaganda campaign that they did over a course of 50 years. Yeah. It talks about how, you know, she got senators. She got she went after and she actually got um, people, she got actors to do like commercials. She got Nixon to make a, I think it was her Eisenhower. I'm all mixed up on that. She got somebody to do an Alcoholism Information Week. She got Alfred Hitchcock Presents to do an episode with an alcoholism storyline. Wow. You know, they, they went after, really, you know, media and politicians yeah. pushed this message. Crazy. NCADD is not a, a government agency. This is, no. This is my understanding, thanks to J.R. Harris, uh, one of the bloggers, uh, that I've learned, um, here's a fact. No, you're talking about, if I'm thinking of the right thing, it's the National Council on Addiction or Alcohol, and I don't know. I don't know the exact acronym, uh, but it was was originally like the NCA. Right, yeah, right. It was just and Marty Mann started it. Yeah, right, right. Total, no, it is. It is. It's hers. It's National Council on Alcohol and Drug Dependence. They changed the name because, you know, it wasn't hip to. Um, didn't want to use the, the alcohol. Word. Yeah, I think that yeah. using the word alcoholism is still very old-fashioned, and that it's my opinion that very few people have alcoholism uh-huh. in today's world. I would say that even in AA. Now that I've left and been gone a couple of years, the viewpoint of, um, you know, there's alcohol abuse, alcohol dependence, which is definitely, you know, used in a clinical sense. But to say alcoholism, uh, you know, I would say 1%. That's even in AA. Yeah. Really. I mean, Bill Wilson, variety of alcoholism? Give me a break. I mean, all those young people. And I was shocked. Uh, I forget which blog that we found this out. That they went after uh, in the nineteen late nineteen sixties, after never mind high schools, they were in my grade school, and all of us bloggers realized that we had somebody visit us from AA and NA in the nineteen sixties. That's insane. Yeah. You're going to go after. You're going to make you know Finding Nemo, and now Wreck-It. I mean Wreck-It Ralph. You know my husband's like, no, Monica, that's really not a pro AA film. They're saying that the guy didn't need to go back to the meeting. Uh, this is a new animated film. And I'm like, yeah, but, you know, you make these references to sitting in these groups and people think this is a natural setting. Yeah. And it's, I really have a problem with it. I, I think that, and this whole snow job of let's go after the youth, how about teach the youth about moderation? Let's teach them, oh, here's something you might really like. So one of the guys who was talking last night on Huff Live said, if you don't teach people how to communicate and talk differently, they don't change you. Uh-huh. And that's yeah. a big thing in AA. Like, it's, they have really poor social skills. If you sit, see people who sit in meetings, and that's why I think people, when they're at 20 years of abstinence, go stark raving mad. I mean, that, that maybe that's an, that's an extreme, okay? Because I could be, you know, they are crazy. Like, I know a guy who took his truck and drove into a tree with... 20 wow. for 21 years because he didn't know how to deal with his anger because NA never told him he never, never learned anything about how to deal with uh, feelings of rage or when you know somebody uh, cheated on you then that's what you know how are you going to communicate yeah and I've seen women get really tweaked around those years all those women who didn't do therapy and didn't go find some other kind of help 
like the telling mm-hmm. of the story. Even I heard this woman, she was fantastic on uh, Ken Anderson's show once about, and they call it like, uh, I forget the name of the therapy, but it's like the story that you tell about yourself over and over again matters. It they're does. All, they're yeah. all repeating, right? You know, they're... Uh, this stuff, and you know, when we were talking, I, I saw this book that I have here on that was right on the, on, on the a couch here, and it's Daniel, Dr. Amen. And it's really funny. There's this change your brain, you know, and it says brain don'ts. This is like really bad for your brain. You want to hear a few of them? Yeah. Um, okay. Think in black or white terms. Think in words mm-hmm. like always, never, every time, everyone. Focus yeah. on the negative things in your life. Predict the worst, which happens at every meeting. Every fucking meeting. Those it nut does. jobs are predicting yeah. jails, institutions, and death. Think only with your feelings. Try to read other people's minds. Blame other people yeah. for your problem. Label yourself yeah. or others with negative terms. Beat up yourself or others with guilt. Personalize huh. situations that have little to do with you. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's just like... Be around. <laughs> it's just total description of. I know it's learned. from Dr. Amon's book, "Change Your Brain, Change Your Life." Well, New York Times bestseller. Yeah, it's just in the back of the book. I don't know why I just picked it up. It was weird as we were talking. I was sitting here and. Um, well, you know, I think that's some of the stuff. It's it's some of the stuff we help people to deal with in uh, in the in the St. Jude program. Um, you know, we have them do something, we have them do a self-analysis. And it's, you know, it used to be more like a fourth step, and we've really developed it over the years. And it's it's about looking, you know, at some of those things. Like, okay, so, you know, these bad things have happened in your life, whatever, and and you have this narrative about it that you tell yourself. Um, and can you go back and try to look at it from another angle? And it doesn't mean, you know, blame yourself for everything. But it, it's like look at, you know, what have your thoughts been about these incidents in your life over the years, you know? What were right. your cognitive choices uh-huh. and your behavioral choices? You look at both, you know, and it's like if you feel like, and it, and it, it's not, it's not designed for you to come up with an amends list or anything like that. Right. It's designed for you to probe into, you know, well, you, you know, here's what I thought. I, I labeled myself. I did this thing that didn't work out, and I just labeled myself as a loser and, in, you know, incapable from it, and and the result has been, you know, well, you know, I haven't tried to, you know, get a new job since then. Or, you know, I don't, I'm don't. i speaking in very broad terms right now, but, but we're, we're asking people to say, you know, how have you maybe limited yourself with, like, that list of things that you were just reading off? Yeah. You know, and, yeah. and, and let's look at that. Let's look at the real results and then decide if you want to keep those habits. That you, the, the almost the exact ones that, I mean, we don't, list them off in that way, but it's everything that you were just saying, which is really, um, you know, it, that's like a lot of the work that, that Martin Seligman has done with positive psychology is look at what they call explanatory style. Uh-huh. And what is it that you tell yourself about the events of your life? Um, because it matters. You know, if you tell yourself that this time that you, you know, you burnt... Uh, the grilled cheese you were trying to make, if you tell yourself that, right. oh, my God, I'm a horrible cook, right? And you and you take the, you screwed up one thing and you and you turn it into, I can't cook anything, right? You know, right, well, right. You're not going to, you're going to order out from now on. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you, you know, know I think um, uh, Hank Hayes, You've Been Lied To, the, the, that book that uh-huh. uh, Hank wrote, he deals with that negative self-talk that even when I first met him, you know, trying, this is the part about deprogramming when you leave, if you, yeah. you know, I think if you've been at it any length of time, but for those people who are in it a long time, 
there's a, it, it, I think it takes a couple of years to deprogram. But he talks about even saying exactly like that, like, oh, man, I'm so fat or I'm so stupid. You catch yourself that, that it's really harmful, you know, that negative self-talk. Yeah. And it, it has to be, it's a habit. It's a bad habit. It is, and that's why, you know, and that is the whole thing about the 12-step program. Self-talk, negative self-talk is built into the first step, you know? Mm-hmm. My life is unmanageable, and I am powerless, however it goes. Those two things, those two thoughts, wow. Yeah. That's that's pretty negative. Yeah, it's, it's really negative. And the thing that I am a little upset about lately is, that I went to see the Bill Wilson documentary, you know, just to see it, and people have really misconstrued. It's been really twisted and turned. It's, it was not a design for living. I don't know if they say that all over the country, but in California, oh, it's my design for living. I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, this yeah. was designed, people are using this to deal with childhood abuse and sexual abuse. These two nutbags in their suits, mid- middle-aged men, were the worst of the worst kind of they were real chronic alcoholics they found an answer to that that's it that's what the six steps were for how to stop drinking when nothing mm-hmm. worked for them it was nothing about your childhood it was nothing about they were both you know poor communicators um you know dr bob you know beat his kids you know sober um they gave people strong drugs to come off the heavy drinking that they did back then. They didn't do it, you know, on the complete natch like Amy Winehouse did. Yeah. It killed her, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but, you know, seeing the film, you just see how it's like a lot of it's distorted. And you, uh, I don't know. I just think that the more we get out the word about what, you know, you guys are doing at St. Jude's Retreat when when somebody wants to leave and... Uh, I mean, when somebody needs to go somewhere else, they want to leave their environment, is what I'm trying to say, and go stay somewhere else, that there are places like St. Jude's, and there are different levels yeah. of places. And that, now, with with what you're doing, do um, you still do one-on-one coaching? No, I don't. I you, stopped doing that when I um, started working for St. Jude's. Uh-huh. I was doing sort of my own method with some life coaching, and and um, some educational stuff that I had written personally. And um, and then I was working with Stanton using his life process program. With that. But no, not doing that. I'm working exclusively for St. Jude, um, instructing their program. And, um, and we're also working on revisions to the program right now. Yeah, we had Michelle Dunbar on a couple weeks ago. It was really nice to have her on. And oh, yeah. Yeah, have her right. talk about her personal story. Well, we are almost at the end of the show. We have about a minute and a half left. We have been talking with Stephen Slate, and you can go to his website, The Clean Slate, and you can also go to St. Jude's Retreat website. But uh, Stephen actually has you have a Facebook page. I think I'm going to put one up, too. We talked about doing this. The clean yeah your clean slate dot org are you or what's um, your the Facebook page is the clean slate it's facebook dot com slash the clean slate addiction site and okay. my blog page is the clean slate dot org very good and uh, to everybody out there in uh, internet listen land chat land blog talk radio land I'm, so I'm getting so nasally I'm gonna run and get some more tissues. <laughs> I, I was yeah. fine. Oh, my God. But it, it was really a pleasure, really a pleasure having you on, as always, and talking to you. great. I want to thank you so much. We'll have you on again and look forward to getting the word out and letting everybody know about yeah. Stephen Slate, the clean I think slate. what you're doing, I think the strategy you've taken, which is let people know there's alternatives, is just so much better than... You know, okay, we know AA is coming, you know, but I think that's the way you're really going to create change is really spreading the alternatives. Yeah, we want people to know. We really do. We want people to write more books 
and get the books out and put the signs on the backs of buses that there are these other options. And yeah. so those other options are empowerment, it's a behavior, it's not a disease. And there's a ton of them. So thank you so much, Stephen. Thank you for being my guest tonight. And uh, we'll see you all next week when I have another fantastic guest. Thank you so much, Stephen. All right. All right. Take thank care. Thank you, Monica. All right. You too. Take care. Bye. All right. Bye-bye.